we have to be prepared for a new environment in which what we are sitting on, who is coming directly to us, is going to be our most powerful asset. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, media, data, innovation, all different kinds of things. We are here at the beginning of September as we start a new, another school year. I'm Joe Favorito, back yet again with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Hey, Tom. Hey, Joe. Early September, you know what that means, U.S. Open. Have you been? We got to talk. Yeah. I went yesterday for the first time in a few years, and I was overwhelmed at the size and scope of what it's become. Um, I've been to many of them, but there were more people there than I've ever seen. Every line was long. Um, they must be making their primary revenue stream right now off of honey deuce cocktails. Have yes. you heard about the official drink of the US Open? 22 bucks. $22. And Joe, when we were walking out as the night session was starting at around a little after six, the, anywhere they were selling honeydew cocktails, there were literally lines twenty to thirty feet long. They were just minting money. <laughs> Those four pieces of melon do really well. Three yeah. pieces, three pieces. Oh, sorry. So, um, yeah, and you get a you get a uh, a souvenir plastic uh, glass with it. I guess yeah. that counts Very for something. Anyway, no, it was a fantastic event. I mean, look, it's turned into yeah. one of the. In my opinion, it's been like this for a while, but one of the great events on the calendar. It's really such a wonderful thing for New York and the New York sports market, the New York economy. And I know you've been a, a fan and you've been visited many, many times. Have you been uh, to, to this one yet? Yeah, I was there Tuesday. And uh, okay. the same thing, it was it was crowded. Um, just because of the time that I've spent working in tennis, I, I never see tennis. I actually walk in and end up at the media center and then walk 20 feet outside and, and just that's as far as I go. So, yeah. Well, we got really um, lucky. We happened to sit in the grandstand. Mm. Little did we know that John Isner was going to be playing his last ever professional singles match. He ended up playing doubles later in the day, but it turned out to be a barn burner of a match. It went five oh, sets mm. to a tiebreaker with this uh, younger American, Michael Moe. And um, it was packed. The grandstand stadium was packed mm. and the level of excitement was intense. And I don't think anybody actually knew he was going to announce his retirement mm. in the uh, interview afterwards. So it was very emotional. He got, he was choking up and uh, we saw a little bit of history. We were lucky. Yeah. And it's funny. Um, I want to get to our guests, but the, the funny thing is when people say the grandstand, I still think of that the concrete poured singer bowl, which used to be to the far right of Louis Armstrong stadium. I know. Um, I mean, think of what it used to be like, this, and now it's just, everything is yeah. uh, crazy. But I mean, it's, it's it's a spectacle, and, and anybody who hasn't been has to figure out a way to to figure out has spent the fifty bucks just to walk around and buy twenty two dollar cocktails. I think. No, well, actually, it's not fifty for the grounds admissions. They're a hundred and closer to one hundred and fifty. Really? Yeah, for the record, right. I think maybe if you bought them earlier and more in advance, we only bought them a few weeks ago. By the way, <laughs> um, before we get, and I, I know we want to get to our guest, but um, the greatest value in New York is qualifying week which they've made into fan week the week before mm -hmm. and i heard it was similarly packed but it is free and it's always been free i don't know how much longer it's going to be free but um but you need to you do actually need to get a ticket correct yes 
Yeah, you can't just walk like take the no, seven no, train have, and walk in. Right. Okay. Ticket, but it does yeah. not cost you anything to go. That's the other nice thing, Joe. I got to say, and only New Yorkers would appreciate this, mm-hmm. is that you can get on the subway from Grand Central, mm-hmm. seven train. It's a little bit slow, but really easy. Nice little walk over the boardwalk. You're there. Fortunately, there was no Mets game the, uh, yeah. yesterday when we were there. Um, and it was actually quite, other than the crowd, it was really quite easy. And yeah, it's a reminder it, that. Going to sports events doesn't have to be such a drag, like, for example, yeah. going to MetLife Field or or something mm-hmm. like that. So, Yeah, the two biggest complaints I've gotten this week was the wafting smell of marijuana coming in from the park. which And is the legal. players were complaining about that players, too, right? And yeah. the contact highs that were happening on some of the outer courts and also the um, you know, the fact that people were making noise. Well, I'm sorry, it's New York. You know, you don't like it, don't come and play in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Did you, uh, did you see that match with Coco Goff on Monday night? Yeah. Yeah, because um, anyway. the cr- the crowd was really getting into it. it. Was good to see, but that's what happens. That's why it's yeah. so cool in New York. So, so let's get to our guests talking about a different sport, but one that actually one of the teams there, or two of the teams there, have actually played games in past years in Arthur Ashe Stadium. Um, I've known our guest for for quite a while. She's had a really interesting career and is now the the growth strategist for the WNBA. And Tom, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the growth of the WNBA. Mm-hmm. Um, in the five years we've been we've been doing this, but Katie Donovan, welcome to the Cusp Show. Hi, nice to be here. Hey, Katie. Um, if you don't mind, I'll kick it off with a question that I alluded to when we were uh, just chatting before. Just your official title is Growth Strategy Lead. Yes. Can you talk about that? I mean, more broad. I want to talk about your specific role, but more broadly, that's been an interesting development in business in the last number of years. How the word growth is is now in more titles than ever before, chief growth officers and head of growth, et cetera, et cetera. And it sounds like that's the title you have at the WNBA. And it's fascinating because I think it encompasses quite a bit of um, uh, work. What is your, talk about it more broadly and tell us, t- tell us about your remit in this particular position. Because I know it's relatively new, I guess, less than a year. Yeah, less than a year. Um, and you're absolutely right. We're- definitely seen a lot more growth in titles um, in say probably the recent five to 10 years, it's really started to, to take off. Um, I would say that that directly correlates with a real increase in people using business intelligence to drive data-driven decision-making internally. So it's this idea that if you're going to be successful at what you're doing, whether that's marketing or finance or strategy in my case, um, you need to have an understanding of data and of insights and how to properly turn them into storylines, properly turn them into um, points that can help deliver decision-making opportunities um, that can measure results and and then turn that into test and learn opportunities to grow from there. Um, So I think that as we have seen digital and social media and all of these environments that have measurable capabilities behind them at a much more kind of fluent rate come into the world. Um, the idea of growth and, and growth strategy has very much kind of parallel paths with that. Cool. So it's a relatively new job. How, yes. did, you, how did you get there? Talk a little bit about your previous growth that got you to a growth job. So I have been working in data and technology for almost 20 years now. Um, And I've done that across multiple different industries, but using data to drive revenue has always been at the core of what I have done. 
And that started, and this is super going to date myself, um, way back when I was working in an advertising company and I helped to launch the first mobile couponing capabilities. Um, So understanding different demographics, different customer bases, how they were buying, and then targeting them with coupons for their groceries, for their telephone bills, whatever it might have been. And that then evolved into how can we understand um, consumers and really parents. And so I sold toys. (laughs) I sold SpongeBob and and MTV toys. and that was a lot of fun. And it was using a lot of data and technology to understand how are parents buying? What are kids watching? What do they want to engage with? Um, how can we make toys better and and more either cost and affordable um, or just something that a kid is going to want to, to actually play with? Um, and then that transformed into starting a couple of my own businesses. I'm going deeper into music with Spotify, where I built out a lot of the first entrances into um, how we were connecting a lot of our data to advertising opportunities, um, or even to brand and consumer journeys and stories. So how are we talking about um, what we know about consumers through their music consumption? And turning that into opportunities for Coca-Cola and Nike to actually connect in more meaningful ways with those consumers. Um, and that then evolved into where I've spent the last probably third of my career now, um, which has been wholly focused on women's sports. And so really, that's how I ended up at the WNBA. This is a very intentional move. Um, when I launched my company, She Is, in the end of 2017, um, we actually launched it at the WNBA headquarters when it was underneath the guidance of Lisa Borders. Um, and it was with the intention of saying, hey, you know, I know data. I know how to understand fans and how they're behaving. I know what that looks like. I want to turn that into an opportunity to impact the growth of women's sports. I want more fans to go to women's sports. I want them to see these incredible athletes as not just role models, um, but as people who they aspire to be in a number of different ways, as business people, as leaders, um, many different facets of the female athlete. So that very intentionally led me through a couple of different roles, um, including leading the the data and insights team at Sports Innovation Lab, where we put out the fan project, which was the first report of its kind to kind of talk about what is the business case behind women's sports. This isn't a charity, there's real money to be made here. And how do we put some real data behind that and look at how fans are actually behaving in the marketplace and how that can translate to revenue? Um, And then working with Phil Cook, who is our CMO and his team while I was at Sports Innovation Lab, which then when I saw this role posted, um, ironically, while I was on maternity leave. (laughs) So it it was while I was not supposed to be working, but I saw this role posted and I went, that's my job. That's what I do. That's exactly, I know how to do that. And I know how to do it for the W. Um, And I'm passionate about the growth of the W, where it is and how it's really leading the industry as a whole. So so Katie, how how does it actually wedge into an organization when you have typically a CMO, traditional CMO, and oftentimes a head of revenue, like a CRO? or head of sponsorship or head of ticket sales or, or, you know, head of uh, media, whatever. 
is is this a compliment? I mean, I, I guess the answer is it's got to be a complementary role to the other C-suite positions who are buying into this premise that you just described. Is is that kind of how it goes? It is. And I mean, it's meant to be a cross-functional role at its core. So I report directly into our chief growth officer, Coley Edison, um, who is for all intents and purposes, like she is the chief revenue officer. She is mm-hmm. who is trying to drive revenue into the business. Um, but I work very closely with obviously her and Phil to understand what is our total market opportunity. How do we want to look at not just how our fans engaging with our product, but how our partners are engaging with our product. And probably most importantly, not just how they're engaging with it right now, but how do we want them to engage with it in 5, 10, 50 years? What does that long-term growth really look like? And by understanding where we want to eventually get to, we can better understand what are the pieces that we need to be putting in place right now? What does that foundation need to look like right now? A big part of that, obviously, given my background, comes down to a lot of the unsexy parts of infrastructure. It's it's the plumbing. It's putting in data centralization efforts. It's putting in different types of systems and tools that aren't always the big flashy things like a big all-star event and putting on a whole flashy weekend. It's usually more of the stuff that's behind the scenes. It's making sure that for everybody who walked into our WNBA live event, for example, at at our all-star this past um, July in, in Las Vegas, about 80% of them, we had captured some sort of information on them before they even walked in the door. We knew exactly who was going to be walking in that door. We knew exactly how to target them. We knew exactly what type of merchandise they would want to buy. We knew exactly how to guide our partners on making sure that how they showed up in that space was really going to resonate with that consumer base. And for the other 20% who showed up kind of on their own whim or they showed up, you know, as they were were kind of walking around and saw it and wanted to come over, we still captured information on them when they got in the door. So if they interacted with various different things, we were learning about them as they were going around and interacting with various different partners, purchasing things, engaging with our things, sharing on social media, et cetera. So we're then taking all of that information and turning that into key learnings that we're very much going to bring into next year in Phoenix. So it's all of that background stuff. That takes a lot to set that up, to be able to say, hey, I'm able to capture all of that information, then I'm able to turn it into stories. We have to have a central database. We have to have tools and systems in place that give us the capabilities to actually perform those those tasks and and then to turn it into something meaningful that will then allow us to invest in, in the right ways, both with our partners and for our fans next year. So that's where I was going to go. So you have the data, you have the infrastructure, you have the storytelling. How how do you define growth? What are what are the metrics? What are the what are the key performance indicators? Whatever you want to call them, and and part two of that question is: Is that different for all different leagues? Is is the the growth strategy of the NBA different than the WNBA? Different from Premier League Lacrosse and different from Major League Soccer? So. I'll actually answer the second part first, um, because this is something that I get up on a soapbox about regularly. (laughs) Um, 
the growth of women's sports specifically is at a very different stage and does need to be treated very differently from the broader men's or even multi-gender sporting entities. And most of those entities have been around for 75 or 100 years, three times the amount of length that the W has been around for. So while they are in more of a sustain mode, yes, they still want to grow, but it's a two to 5% growth type of rate. We are in our double and triple digit growth phase. We are moving incredibly quickly on a variety of different things. And we're trying to be really nimble with how we test and learn and understand more about our fans and about what they want from our business as we're growing it. So there's a little bit of building the plane while we're flying it, but there's also a lot of agility that we're bringing into what we're doing that is in essence, helping us to get to 50 years from now when we're the age of the NBA right now. And then we can be in a little bit more of our maintain mode and we can be enacting some different types of growth strategies that are a little bit more akin to what, say, the NBA is doing right now. So, uh, Katie, question. NBA, WNBA, shared assets. Um, Obviously, the NBA has built team business operations, which works with the clubs, the teams. Um, on a daily basis to create best practices. Is that something under your purview at the WNBA or is most of the work you're doing league specific versus team specific? So it's both league and team specific. And what I will say is that I have the privilege to work very closely with a lot of the shared services teams that exist within the NBA infrastructure, which is incredible. Like they have been around for a long time. There are people in our business that I work with who have literally been at the league for 20 plus years. So they come with a really deep breadth of knowledge and understanding that I love to learn from, that I think we are are very fortunate to have in our, our wheelhouse. Alongside that, We also have a team that is dedicated to just the W that has grown by more than 70% in just the last 12 months. So we have people who are really coming in with the only purview that they want to focus on is the WNBA. And what's really exciting about that for me is that we are seeing a little bit of a shift from there being a mentality of hey, we're doing multi-property deals. And yeah, we want to make sure that the W is a part of that because we want to ensure that we're supporting our women's sports arm and and our affiliate league. To now, we're having brands who are approaching us and saying, hey, we're really actually only interested in talking to the W right now. Maybe longer term, we'll have something that we want to set up with the MEA. But right now with where we're at with our business or with what our priorities are, we're actually exclusively interested in the W. And that was actually the impetus for our Changemaker program coming to be and setting up that opportunity for partners to partner with just us. Who are some of the partners that, that you could say who have kind of taken that mantle and run with it um, versus ones, you know, for, for years, people would say, oh, you know, those are NBA partners. They're just picking up the WNBA. That's obviously changed. Who are some of the ones, especially in the last year, that you could say, man, look at what they're doing just for the WNBA because of what we do? So one of the big ones that I will always have to point out is Deloitte. They helped us stand up a number of different things for the new app that we just relaunched. Um, So we have an incredible women-led product and engineering team that 
has grown again as a part of that that overall growth of the team. Um, Deloitte really came in and, and worked with that team to stand up what is a monumental lift on our, our app and our dot-com side of things, truly transformed our digital spaces. Um, and they really looked at that opportunity and said, this is the right investment. This is, they have digital transformation as one of their kind of key pillars as well. And they looked at what we were doing and where some of the pain points were inside of our business and said, this is an area where we can help. This is something where this is very particular to the W. Like we we know that League Pass has an opportunity to be better. We know that the app has an opportunity to be better. And we know that that's where your fans are. And by doing that, we will help to increase not over not only the engagement with the current fans, but bring in a new fan as well. The result of that, we've seen more than double <laughs> the number of MAUs, active, active users on a monthly basis over the course of this season compared to last season. All of our engagement metrics are through the roof, double and triple digit increases. And more than that, we're just seeing people really engaged with what is being put out into our digital channels. So Deloitte not only saw that as, hey, this is something that aligns with one of our pillars, but as an opportunity for them to really help what we ultimately wanted to achieve with our business. Katie, follow up on that. One of the things we talk about in my digital media class is how the acceleration of the digital age, really with the introduction of social media platforms and mobile generated um, or or just kind of ushered in this proliferation of what we call data generators, all these different services, devices, et cetera. I mean, think of it so different than when you started your career, when we started our careers, obviously. And the number of data generators is crazy high, of course, at this point in history. But a lot of those are third party. So yeah. for example, all this, you, you referenced social media a couple of times. And we know that there are different policies, guidelines, standards on the different platforms, some of which can be quite suspect. Many of Much of this has been reported on over the last five or 10 years or five or six years. What are, what are the most important data generators for you? What areas do you count on the most if you're prioritizing in the big potpourri that, that is your data um, repository? Anything in the label of O&O, so owned and operated by mm -hmm. us. Um, I, again, another soapbox that I like to get up onto is the importance and power of first-party data as cookies are going to disappear. That is inevitable at some point with all of the data privacy regulation and everything that is happening right now. We have to be prepared for a new environment in which what we are sitting on, who is coming directly to us, is going to be our most powerful asset, not only for us to understand how to better deliver on our growth goals as a, a business and how to deliver for our fans and, and for our partners, but quite frankly, how we are ultimately going to set up the future of our monetization for our business. It is the future revenue streams of how we are going to generate things right now via ad sales, by different ways of doing advertising across those ONO platforms. But as we go into the future, the actual intelligence 
on that first party data is going to be something that becomes, again, really powerful for our own decision making as much as it is for driving revenue into our business. And so that's the thing that I really, really encourage, not only inside of our organization, obviously, but any women's sports organization, there is a real lack of data and first party data that exists around women's sports. And the people who can learn how to start collecting that and harnessing that power now are the ones who are ultimately going to have the easiest and the best possible chance to unlock revenue, to unlock growth opportunity in the future. But but isn't that partly because, as you, as you well know, it takes a lot of investment, both oftentimes financial and uh, human resource investment, to do O&O well. Yes. So one thing I've noticed is that a lot of companies will put so much effort into their third-party social media, and they'll have like a really crappy app or something like that, which to me doesn't make any sense, um, to your point about the importance of first party. So um, isn't incumbent upon all these women's sports that are trying to grow to adopt a similar philosophy? Like there's no other way around this, I suppose. I think that's kind of the bottom line. Is that fair to say? Or to collaborate. So I'll point to what we did with Athletes Unlimited in our off season. We brought their content onto our league pass so that we could make sure that a company that frankly, like they're growing at an exponential rate and they're doing an incredible job, but to stand up their own streaming platform would be out of reach right now. We already have that platform and we're both wanting to promote the sport of basketball. So it it was an easy win for everybody to do that partnership together. And it creates more opportunities for us to then look at that and say, who else can we be partnering with? How else can we bring more content onto our already existing platform and create an opportunity that that doesn't require as much investment from those who are bringing that content on and, and gives us a way to super serve again the fan and the partner in those conversations and create more of that holistic environment for the fans. Cool. Katie, you and I have talked about this, women's sports versus sports that have to be played by women. Um, how important and how much have you seen the growth of this, not just being getting women in the building, but getting families in the building and having, having men be fans of this amazing product and being part of the the ecosystem. How important is that? And how has it grown more importantly? So the first really amazing thing to me is like, as I do a lot of different analysis across our, our fan bases and we're increasing all of that. Um, right now we're sitting at about a 55, 45 split of men watching our sport and engaging with our sport versus women. And what's super interesting to me is that then when you break that down by some of our channels, so those who are watching on our new channel, ION, that we just brought on this year. So we have Friday nights, WNBA on, on ION and the bulk majority of the biggest group that is watching on ION is actually 55 plus men. So we're attracting an audience in that we know is already a core consumer of the broader sports industry. They're consuming our product. They're wanting to understand and watch more of the WNBA. That said, we also understand the purchase power of women. 
So what we are doing is ensuring that our strategy encompasses both an appeal toward how are we targeting that older male generation that we know is definitely a sports fan. They're watching multiple sports. We want them to be watching ours as well. We know that they tend to be more of the betters as well. And as we stand up more betting platforms and more opportunities with partners like that, and more revenue streams around that, we know that we need to be attracting that fan while not neglecting the fact that we absolutely want to be attracting women and our younger generation, who we know is the future of our viewership, is the future of our our core fan. So it's us looking very holistically at our audience and, and our profiling and ensuring that what we're actually doing is looking at the behaviors of our total fans and saying, how do we super serve those behaviors in a way that is gender agnostic and takes into account how our fans are behaving at any age based on what we know is ultimately going to drive the business forward. Joe, that was a timely question because I was following, I'm sure you guys were too, what just happened in in Nebraska with the largest women's live event in history, apparently, this volleyball thing they did, um, which was one of the great stories of the week, by the way. And I think they got uh, close to 92,000. I did not get to see it, Katie, and I was curious if you know, if you got to, if either one of you got to saw it, to see it, and if you got any sense of the gender balance in the crowd. I didn't get a chance to see it, and I do just want to clarify, because it's my favorite thing as a data nerd, it was 92,003 people. (laughs) So they made sure to put those three people everywhere. It's posted everywhere. And I'm like, yes, thank you for the data cleanliness. Those three people matter. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's really a phenomenal story and, and it's, it feels like volleyball is just on the precipice of like major growth as, as a female played sport, but of interest to men. And, and the other example I wanted to cite, of course, was Iowa basketball with a probably someday MVP in the WNBA, Caitlin Clark, helping sell out for the first time in history, the entire season ticket packet. I mean, all season tickets for upcoming season, the upcoming season. Is it, Talk about the importance of superstars, because when we think about the NBA, of course, they're known for their personalities, and we can all name probably 12 or 15 stars in the NBA just by one name, which says a lot. So you guys have some of that going in WNBA right now and probably more to come, but is that is that really important for you? It is and it isn't. So it is in the sense of we know that fans are very much engaging with the athletes themselves. Athlete-driven media is absolutely on the rise with NIL rights and deals that is only going to continue. We are definitely seeing that on the women's basketball side, especially at the NCAA level, where women are outpacing men in basketball for NIL deals and and the size and the scope of them. Um, So we know that that is going to continue to very much be an opportunity that we want to embrace is that athlete driven media, how we are storytelling about our athletes, how we are creating opportunities for two-way dialogues and ultimately how we are making them household names. You know, Sue Bird retiring last year was a huge deal. We want to make sure that we continue in our pipeline to have as many Sue Birds as possible. Mm. Um, And then what I will say on the, it kind of isn't is like we're also seeing that there 
with the WNBA specifically, we are in a unique position where there are a number of fans follow the W who support the W without ever having watched a game or attended a game ever. They are following it. They are watching and they are actually wearing logo woman because of what the league stands for. That orange hoodie took off because of what the brand stands for. And so it's a really interesting phenomenon that does not really exist elsewhere in the sports industry that we are still trying to understand the full opportunity around that and how we can ensure that we continue to raise the profile of the total brand as we are storytelling about each of our individual athletes. Cool. Um, Last question from me on the general topic. We've talked a lot about Glass Half Full and everything that you're doing. What's the biggest challenge now, now that you started to build this up? Is it the worry about too much too soon, people assuming that this is great? What's the biggest challenge that you have in in the growth area right now? Um, The biggest challenge is also our biggest opportunity. In the next two years alone, the WNBA, the NWSL, and NCAA are all renegotiating their media rights deals. Mm -hmm. It will set the stage for valuation of women's rights, women's rights, women's media rights, but also probably women's rights, um, the valuation of that, not just for the next couple of years, but for the next decade plus, potentially. So what is going to be negotiated in the next couple of years between those three entities is absolutely imperative that we right-size the valuation for what the market demand is right now and what we foresee it to be. And that's where I am so gung-ho about how we are putting that data infrastructure in place and how we are starting to set up predictive models that will ultimately help to influence those conversations. If we don't get it right in 25, we had set ourselves up for a potential to not get it right for the next 20 or 30 years. It's a great answer. That really is. Yeah. Yeah. Part of what I wanted to get into before we go to the final questions, Katie, is related to the, the, the last part of the conversation. It feels as though, not feels, it, it's clear that the WNBA and some of the other women's sports leagues have been more um, willing to engage in sometimes controversial social, cultural, societal, you know, uh, even political issues in the way they've made their feelings known. Some of the things they've done, WNBA was a good example over the last couple of years. Is that something that, in your opinion, should be embraced? Because it's obviously, can be it can be a third rail for the big leagues. So they usually try to stay out of it, if you know what I mean. Um, but it feels like it's kind of, refre- in my personal opinion, it's refreshing that they've been a little bit more courageous and outspoken on, I think, important matters. So is that kind of part of the thinking as you, as you look towards the future? Absolutely. And I, I say that both from the perspective of the gray area is no longer gray and is increasingly less gray. Yeah. So standing up for what you believe, saying it out loud, is becoming increasingly important, especially for a younger generation that is looking to that level of authenticity to guide where they put their fandom, where they put their money, where they decide to stand alongside. Mm -hmm. And that for us 
is absolutely important. And I will say personally, as, as a new mom, as a woman in this industry, um, as a woman in data, like I am a minority <laughs> in, in a lot of different rooms. I am not surrounded by people who necessarily look like me all the time. I have been thoroughly impressed being inside of the walls of the WNBA, their actions match their words. What you see happening with the players is matched internally as well. And I think that is a unique proposition for a large corporate entity that does not always happen. I see it happen on a regular basis. And I am encouraged by the fact that decisions are being made from that place of we want to ensure that this type of authentic conversation is seen as being a part of our business strategy and of who we are as an organization. That's a great, another yeah. great answer, Joe. Um, it also great. You know, of, does she have points that she's reading? Off she's of Katie, Katie's, Katie's yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, and I, I was actually made me think of like Nike. So the big decision they made a few years ago, with Kaepernick and I mean, there's plenty of examples with Nike, but as you guys probably know, their growth continued to pace. Uh, they've had, I think a record year last year, last uh, fiscal year. Um, and it seems as though there's a number of corporations that are moving in sync with what you just said. And maybe that's where this all goes, where the more progressive leagues partner and work with the more progressive businesses and brands that are willing to go in that direction. Cause you're absolutely right about the, the psychographic, uh, information associated with Gen Z and the behavioral and and the interest and that's that's showing up in politics right now too as we know um, authenticity is key uh, sensitivity to these controversial issues is key etc so um, it's good that you guys are on that because you, you've really been paving paving the way and it's been a quarter century as you noted um, think about it I remember going to my first WNBA game like in 2001 when I was working at AOL and we had a partnership with the NBA and uh, I can still remember that, and it was just such a, a unique experience because not there was nothing in America, American sports like that. So, anyway, good stuff. Yeah, and this is where like I want to give a shout out to another one of our change makers. Um, we had Google come and present to us as we were doing all of our digital transformation on different ways that they have set up digital spaces to be more accessible and how we can incorporate that into what we're doing inside of our business. So. It's not just that we're thinking about this. It's the people that we're partnering with are thinking about this as well. And you're absolutely right, Tom. I think that that is going to continue. I think that partners are going to see that opportunity through like-minded eyes and say, how do we work together? How do we collaborate to ensure that this type of messaging continues to be brought to the forefront in really positive and impactful ways? And by the way, how do we put money towards it, which obviously is important. Absolutely. Too, so mm -hmm. so uh, Katie, last two questions before we let you go. Uh, we ask all our guests so much going on. How do you stay up to date? What are the things you read, you listen to, um, any tools you use? And then the last thing, most importantly, is you've had such an amazingly progressive career for people who are either career changers or coming into an industry. What's the advice you give people? So those two pieces. <laughs> so in terms of where... I am looking and reading things. Um, I, I'm still on 
Twitter slash X, whatever we want to call it. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's just, there's still so much of a, a community there. I'm starting to get into some of the other platforms as well. And I'm sure that, you know, as things develop, like I will continue to get more news, but I think the, the social atmospheres continue to be, especially for, for women's sports continue to be a wonderful place to connect with people and, and to share information. Um, I also have a number of RSS feeds that are set up that just come straight into my inbox with any number of, of different things. Um, and then I've actually on a podcast, I've gotten more into podcasts recently. So I have actually started utilizing that feature on my, my Spotify feeds, um, and just letting the algorithm serve me up different things that are kind of in either the sports space or any other number of topics that, that I'm interested in. Um, And then in terms of, sorry, the second question, career advice, career Career advice, advice. um, a couple of different things. One is I completely understand that um, we all need to make a living. We all have to pay bills and inflation is going up and everything else like that. Um, My career is an example of following things that I am passionate about and testing and learning with my own career to see where those passions actually lie and where I can make money off of, of exerting those passions. Um, so that's always my advice to people is to test and learn as much with your career as possible to actually hone in on what energizes you, what excites you, what are the things that you feel like you could do in your sleep? Because ultimately those are going to turn into the best careers. And that takes some time to figure it out. It took me arguably probably 15 years to mm. figure that out. And I ended up in women's sports and I will be here for the entire rest of my career hand to God, like, but it took time to figure that out. So take that time, test and learn, figure it out for yourself. It will, it will make you a better employee as much as it will a better person. Mm-hmm. And last and most important, Katie, where can people find you? Uh, and but by the way, before you do that, Tom, I don't want to bury the lead here. But as we talk about our conference on October 6th, Katie will be there. She will be on oh, nice. With Mary Wittenberg as a man. Oh, that's terrific, Katie. I'm, yeah. I'm going to be doing a uh, digital media panel too, so like it would be good to meet in person. So before October sixth, where where can people find you um, and get more info? And then you know, plug for the WNBA as well. Absolutely. Um. So any of my social channels are all at Katie three two six, and Katie is spelled a little bit differently, C A I T I. Um. So at Katie three two six, or um. I'm actually very open to people shooting me an email, like find me on LinkedIn, fine. Um, But my email is cdonovan at wnba.com. So if anybody is interested in talking, wants career advice, wants to have a 15 minute chat about where to go next, I I very much welcome that. Cool. I got one quick one, just to follow up on the Twitter mention, take 10 seconds. Um, I've been laying a little bit low on social media this summer, just to take a little bit of a break. Tommy, you only I, I posted done, seven I, times in July and August. It was really no, yeah, I'm, I'm barely. I'm, I mean, I still look at my lists on Twitter, but less than I used to, and I'm and I haven't been posting. Um, I'm I'm really not thrilled about the way it's going, but that's another conversation. But the question is, has there been anything that has been created on Threads that is mm. like what we had in, in the sports world, in the media world, in the business world on Twitter? 
Um, my answer to that is I think it is actually getting there. So okay. I've, I've gone on to threads and there is a growing number, certainly a number of people who I have been following on Twitter or interacting with on Twitter are now on threads. Um, kudos to Instagram for making it super easy. Like mm-hmm. the ease of setup because they just port all right, of your information right. directly over was really well done and they timed that right. So I think that that got a lot of people as well. Like they didn't have to build followings anymore. They just got to transfer all of their following over to threads. Joe, you um, doing anything on it? Back and forth. I still haven't figured it out. I'm, I'm yeah. on threads though. I'm just curious. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm really curious to see if there was kind of a, a, let's call it a sports business community that was so vibrant on Twitter for such a long time. If it can be replicated, if it will be replicated in any other platform, I, I'm not sure. We'll see. Cool. We'll see. And then I'm interested once Blue Sky actually opens up beyond mm. the invite only. I think that's going to be – that's the interesting one that I'm actually – Yeah, making. I mean, the only thing I would say, Katie, is that I, I – with all different friends and acquaintances on social media, everybody seems to be poking around trying things, but nothing seems to be really sticking, Yeah, which is, which is a little bit depressing. But I guess that it's not a huge surprise to, to get people to change their behavior is a big deal. Anyway, I know Joe has to go. So, uh, Katie, thank you. That was terrific. Thank you. Really appreciate it both and always happy to chat. Yes. And we'll see you at the Columbia Conference. A reminder, everybody, you can go to that conference in New York City, October 6th. It's a one-day conference, which makes a lot of sense to me. Those multi-day conferences are kind of annoying. Uh, So, nine to four, I believe it is. And Mm -hmm. you can go... uh, Joe, what's the best way for everybody to find it, by the way? Uh, the website or the, the, the program okay. website. That's where it is. Yeah. So the Columbia, just go to Google Columbia Sports Management Conference. Mm-hmm. You can get the information. Tickets are uh, inexpensive. And we'll mm-hmm. have a really good group of people there, including Katie Donovan, which will be yep. really fun. Yep. Oh, cool. and social media, Joe. We can put it on social media. Pablo, our producer, reminded us. Yep. Uh, nice save, uh, Pablo. Um, all right. Well, Katie. Thank you for a great show, Joe. That was a terrific way to start the new academic year in the month of September. And um, next time uh, we get together, we will be in full swing uh, yep. on the Upper West Side. I will see you next week, Tom. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.